Today is part four of the three sins of pride. And even though we are teaching through James, for I guess we are teaching through James, and we are, we are on chapter five today, and in chapter four and chapter five, part of chapter five, it gave us three sins that James felt that was important for the church to know. In the first sin, we said that it was speaking against and judging God's royal law. Speaking against and judging God's royal law. Now we can commit that sin by speaking and judging one another. But the real biggie, in my opinion, sin is really judging and speaking against God's royal law. And God's royal law was found in the second chapter of James. We went through that, uh, which was to love your neighbor as yourself. And so Romans 13.10, you don't have to turn to it right now, uh, basically says, love does no wrong to its neighbor. No wrong. And therefore, love really fulfills all the law. So what we want to do is be aware that, God, I'm not going to judge your law. I'm not going to speak against your law. Because when I speak against one another, I am actually judging and speaking against your law. Anytime you speak against what someone has said, you're actually speaking against them. You might not look at it that way, but when you're judging God's law, what God has set for, God is righteous. He's good. And when we put, put ourselves above that and speak against that, then that's the height of pride. Matthew 18, we said that even though we're in review now, even though we said that we are going to uh, not speak against one another, we still have to understand that we can take to one another their faults. In other words, if someone speaks something against you and offends you, or you see that they have a fault and it's against you, you can go to that person one-on-one, -on -one, in private. That's what Matthew 18, 15 says. And you can show them their fault. And if they hear you, you have won their brother. And so we said that, so don't look at it as though you can't say anything Two and one, you can think everything is, you know, we accept anything that anybody does, anything someone says. We're not going to do that. Because speaking of, you know, when you, when you speak against somebody, yes, we're not going to do that, but yet we will go to them. And when we go to them, we will reprove them, which is a mild, you know, uh, correction. We will rebuke them, which is a, a sharper, uh, really, uh, correction. Or we will admonish them, which is a warning. We'll do all those things because that's what the scripture says. So we're not going to take just one scripture 
and say, well, I'm not going to speak against you. I'm not going to judge you. No, I'm not going to do that, but I'm, I will come to you and I'll tell you that this is wrong, what you did. It's not right. You know? And you can receive it. You don't receive it. If you don't receive it, I'll bring somebody else with me. If you don't receive that, then I'll take it to the leaders of the church and I'll let them know, and then they can deal from there. So God has in his word something for all of us to live in a, in a, in a uh, peaceful way with one another. He has that. And that's one of the, I think, one of the biggest things that uh, we can take from this part of James is that we're going to stop that in the church of the living God. We're going to stop that. We're going to stop talking about people, which one another. We're going to stop uh, uh, judging what somebody said and all those type of things. Uh, it, it goes on. It goes on all the time. And it, it's, not, it's not really right, but it's nothing you can do except... If it's done against you, you can go to them one-on-one. And sometimes uh, the Spirit of God will tell you, don't even go to them. Just pray for them. Because he knows that it's not going to do any good. You're going to just make matters worse. So just pray for them. Pray for them. Prayer works. It works. Okay? Sometimes we don't know why somebody said something, why somebody did something, and we'll jump to conclusions, and uh, our lips will just start wagging, and, and we don't want to do that. Our tongue wagging, our lips moving. We don't want to do that against one another. So we spent two weeks on that. Last week, we covered another sin, which is a second sin, which is really, um, I guess you can call that making plans and leaving God out of them. You know? Making plans and leaving God out. So we're sometimes self-confident, we're boastful even, and making plans, and God's not in our plans. So God said, that, no, I want you to make plans, yes. You know, nothing wrong with making plans, but don't leave me out because he is the God of all things. He's the God of the future, as well as the present, as well as the past. We also told you that one way that you can include uh, God in these things is that you can uh, just say, God willing. That's what Paul said. God willing. I'll do this if God wills. I'll go here if God wills. We gave you the, you know, even in correspondence, you can put a capital D period, capital V period, and that stands for Latin, two words, which means, uh, what? Okay. Deo volente. And, and you can, you can put that on your little correspondence, you know, or you can just say simply, hey, God willing. God willing. Thanksgiving is coming up is an awesome time to, to say that because some people go, go home and they have Thanksgiving dinners with their parents and things like that. They travel and uh, your parents will call and say, hey, you coming home for Thanksgiving? God willing, I'll be there, you know. So we can, we can put this into motion. We also said that when you're making decisions, and then one, one way to include God is use the seven principles of decision making. And we had... Um, a person really put that into visualization for his word pictures last, last week, like an airplane and all those type of things like that. Uh, so I'm sure you remember those seven principles. The first one was that it, that it must agree with the word of God. It must agree with Scripture. If it doesn't agree with Scripture, you can forget it. It's not God. Okay? It's not God. We said that the Holy Spirit should witness with your spirit. We said that also. We said that you need to uh, really pass it by who? Godly counsel. 
Pass it by godly counsel. Sometimes that can, that can alleviate things because sometimes we see one thing in Scripture, but we don't think about the other thing in Scripture because the Scripture, you know, you have, to, you have to go from Genesis to Revelations and keep things in order. You just don't take one Scripture and just use that one Scripture and think we have it, you know. Uh, like we've just been talking, don't judge one another. See, you don't even think about the other Scripture that says that you can go to your brother and reprove him, you can rebuke him, you can, you know, uh, admonish him. You don't think about that Scripture. So passing it by godly counsel can, can help you in that situation. They can say, have you ever thought about this one? Now, this is what God says on here. Now, now I believe that you need to take that into consideration, too, when you're making this decision. We said that also uh, that you need to have an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. Is that correct? Up-to-date, intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. Not that you come to church. Not that you read your Bible. All those things are included. But you need to have an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ if you're going to make decisions and think you're going to hear from God all the time. You know? That's very important. And so many people, they don't have that close relationship with God. Oh, they know God. They serve God. But it's from a distance. You know? And expect that they, what they do is all the time right. It's not so. I like to put all these seven into operation before I make any major decision. Okay, I like to do that. We said you must be humble. Very important. Humility is a virtue. You know? It really is. What you want to do is realize that God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. Is that correct? So we don't want God resisting us and think we're going to hear from God all the time. And we said also that you want to be under authority. You've got to be under authority. You can't think that you're going to be authority of your own or independent spirit and think that you're going to hear from God most of the time. Not going to happen. Not going to happen. And you, you, you can have all the gifts and all those type of things, but see, God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. So therefore, sometimes even though you have an anointing for something, you have a gifting for something, uh, it just doesn't come to pass. It just doesn't come out just like it should because you haven't really submitted yourself to authority. That's very important. Very important. And we, we live in, a, in, a, in a, uh, a nation that, I guess, prides itself on its independence. You know? And we, we want to be independent of any type of authority in this nation. Don't want to be under anybody's control. As a matter of fact, we, we tell people that you're too controlling. You know, you tell your parents, you're too controlling. You tell your mate, you're too controlling. You tell your boss, you're too controlling, you know. Everybody's too controlling. What we want is freedom to do what we want to do, when we want to do it, with whom we want to do it, and that's not right. That's not going to work. That's not, that's not God. Because everything in God's kingdom operates under authority. Everything, you know. The centurion principle. And we said you must have a prayer partner. That's very important, too. Have somebody praying for you. you know, even though you're praying, have somebody else praying for you. So those are the things that we went over. Now, the last sin of pride that James goes over in chapter 5. Let's look at it. It's really called, I, I call it, bad stewardship of finances by the rich. Bad stewardship of finances by the rich. This is not a popular message um, to most people because most people are trying to be rich. You know? But it's okay. Uh, you know that we're teaching through James. So therefore, you say, well, this is not, he's just not bringing this uh, message up because he doesn't like me 
uh, because he doesn't like the rich people because they won't, you know, uh, um, they won't finance his building for him, you know. Uh, no, it doesn't have anything to do with that. I'm teaching through James, you know. So therefore, if James says it, should I skip over it? Okay. Come now, verse 1, you rich. Now, when he's talking about the rich, that rich, really in, uh, if you look it up in, 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 in really Greek, it tells you that it's abundance, having abundance. So you can be rich in, in uh, cattle. You're not going to have just two cows. You know, if you're rich in cattle, you're going to have abundance. Job was rich, wasn't he? How do you know Job was rich? He had all this, you know, this, and wealth in those days. He had camels, he had dungas, he had, he had a multitude of stuff, you know. And those, it was rich during that, 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 during that time, you know. You also knew probably that uh, Elisha was rich. You know who Elisha was? He was mentored by Elijah, okay. And he was, when Elijah came, what was Elijah plowing with? One little cat? A dog? Who, who, what was he plowing, plowing with? Man, he had these, all these yokes of oxen. Man, this, this dude, man, you know, you just don't have oxen, oxen, oxen like that if, if, you, if you're poor. See? So Abraham was rich. Is that correct? God is not opposed to the rich. Matter of fact, he gives wealth with no sorrow added. He does. And that's scripture. So God is not opposed to that when he blessed Abraham so much, he blessed Lot so much. You know, God blesses his people. He blessed them. The children, when they came out of Egypt, uh, they, they just had a good old time. God had, had the people of Egypt give them all this stuff that they didn't need, really, for their journey. They didn't need all this stuff that they got. But he had a purpose for it. For them to be good stewards over it. To build him a sanctuary. This message is not about building a sanctuary either. Okay, This is about James. <laughs> okay, I'm just telling that God makes people rich. I'm telling you. Okay? And every church, let me tell you now, every church should have wealthy, abundant people in it that have abundance. You know? Matter of fact, uh, one of David's men, when, when it, you, you know, has, he said, mighty man of valor. You know what I'm talking about? A mighty man of valor. I mean, they're mighty, you know. This dude, he goes down in a pit, man. He, a lion is down there. And he goes down in a pit on a snowy day, and he, he wipes this lion out. This, this man is tough. He's a mighty man of valor, you see. These mighty men, they'll go through a whole enemy camp. Just go through the camp and get water for David and bring it back. Two men. They're mighty men, see. But also, if you read the scripture in the Old Testament, there, was, there, there were people who were mighty men of wealth also. Mighty men of wealth. God's not opposed to wealth. Every church should have some wealthy people in it. Every church. Because in order to finance God's kingdom, you're going to have to have some money. You know? Nobody is going to exchange a bologna sandwich for a building we're building. Do you understand that? You can't bother that. Now, if you have some gold, if you have some silver, you know, Rubies, ivory, you have all this kind of good stuff now. You can barter for that, you know, but no bologna sandwiches. I know y'all probably don't eat bologna sandwiches, you know, but uh, all of y'all are rich from birth. 
But I ate bologna sandwiches. When I grew up, peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. That was dessert. <laughs> Come now, you rich. Weep and howl for your miseries which are coming upon you, he says in verse 1. So he's telling me your misery is great affliction. Great distress is coming upon you. You need to weep. And this is not just crying of tears, shedding of tears. I mean, there's some outward signs. I mean, you are, it was, it's a miserable day. I mean, this is terrible what's going on here. See, he's talking to people who are bad stewards of his finances. Okay? Some uh, commentaries tell you that it's, it's uh, really uh, talking to the unsaved. You know? I like to put it as James put it. He's talking to the same people he started off talking to. Anything bad, we can always say it's, it's the unsaved, the lost. You know? No, James is talking to the, to, to the 12 tribes who were scattered abroad, isn't he? Okay? So, so I'm going to take it as... He's talking to the church also. Your riches have rotten, and your garments have become moth-eaten. Now, this person is rich, has abundance of clothes, and what takes care of clothes if you leave it long enough? And in that type of atmosphere, even in our type of atmosphere, if you open the door during the summertime, you know, you have these little, uh, we we'll call them candleflies, but, you know, they'll, maul, they'll come in and they love wool, you know. They love, don't they? You know, you, you, know, you come back in the winter, you, you wear this coat, you turn around, you got a hose all in it, you know. They, they, they'll take care of it. So this person, they had abundance of things, but he says that they have rotten. Your garments have become moth-ridden. Your gold and your silver have rusted. Their rust will be a witness against you and will consume your flesh like fire. It is in the last days that you have stored up your treasure. Now, this person is hoarding, storing up, and not being a good steward. God doesn't want us doing that, does he? He told the person who was given uh, talent, and he hid it in the ground, and he uh, gave it back to the master when, he, when the master asked for it. Uh, he didn't say, well done, my good and faithful servant. I gave you a talent, and you hid it, and did nothing with it, and you gave it back with me. Gave it back to me. Oh, you're so nice, you know. He didn't say that to them, him, did he? Did he? What did he say to him then? He was a wicked servant. That's what it was, a wicked servant. Because it, you, you know that master wants some type of uh, increase. He, he wants you to be a good steward. Okay? He wants you to be a good steward. And he gives us all instances where we can, we can do that. Let's look at Luke chapter 16. Now that you have the interpretation... That's what James said, the interpretation. See, what I, what, when I was doing the message here, uh, it's, it would be very easy for most of you to tune 
all of you pretty much to tune this message of James out. Because how many in here would say, hey, bro, I am rich. All you need is a million dollars, 1.2 to take care of that building. I got it. I'm a billionaire. You know? How many can raise your hand and say that? Nobody? Okay. So nobody's rich yet. Okay. In about a millionaire yet. Not, not on the way towards one. In about a millionaire yet. Okay, not yet. Okay. So now you could easily tune me out then, couldn't you? Because he said, oh, he's talking about the rich. Okay, now I can do it. I can do a puzzle while, while he's talking because it doesn't, doesn't apply to me. No, it applies to the church because let me, now that you have the interpretation, that's how he, he was talking. He was talking to, to people who are actually rich now. Okay, they were rich people. Now let's make application to us here today. Do you know that some people in this world think that, and would think if they knew you and knew what you had, that you were rich? They really would. A person who couldn't eat but one meal a day, if, if they could sell enough stuff to get enough to buy a meal, they could eat it that day. And, and, and a lot of us sometimes, we have, we have rooms in our house to keep our cars warm. You know? Out of the weather, out of the elements, you know? Snowing outside, you drive in your garage. You know? Some of us don't have to worry about where your next meal is coming from. But we give to a ministry called Feed the Children. And if you watch them on, on, on TV sometime, uh, my goodness gracious, you know, they are, are struggling in the dumps trying to find enough to eat. And would you think they would think, oh, they are poor at Cornerstone. Look at those poor people, you know. And we go out to lunch after church, and we'll spend sometimes as much as a person in Uganda uh, would make in a month. In a month. Because they told me that teachers in Uganda, when I was there, they were making $30 a month. A month. And you say, oh, the buying power was, was good, and they could, they could probably buy you know, uh, a lot of stuff. All they need about five, five cents, and they could buy enough groceries for a month. No, no, uh-uh. The hotels cost a lot. The meals in the hotels cost a lot. The food cost just as much. They just couldn't eat. That's what they couldn't do. They couldn't eat. They couldn't live good. So they wanted to latch on to us when we were over there. And, and for us to provide for them when we got back to the States. I got so many letters uh, telling me their story about how this happened, this happened, and could I just help out by sending this much money, you know, whatever, you know. They think we're rich. We are rich compared to people who live in these third world countries. So I can still make application to us, even though the interpretation is someone who has abundance. We have abundance compared to somebody else. We don't if we compare it to maybe Bill Gates or somebody, but we do if we compare it to somebody over in Calcutta 
or somewhere. Luke 16, verse 1. Let's look there and find out what he was telling this person. Now he was saying also to the disciples, there was a rich man who had a manager, and his manager was reported to him as squandering his possessions. And that's what we're talking about in James. And he called him and said to him, what is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management, for you can no longer be manager. The manager said to himself, what should I do? Since my master has taken the management away from me, I'm not strong enough to dig. I'm too ashamed to beg. I know what I shall do, so that when I am removed from my management, people will welcome me into their homes. So he summoned each one of his master's debtors and began saying to the first, How much do you owe my master? And he said, A hundred measures of oil. And he said to him, Take your bill, sit down quickly, and write fifty. Then he said to another, How much do you owe? And he said, A hundred measures of wheat. He said to him, Take your bill, write eighty. And his master praised the unrighteous manager because he had acted shrewdly for the sons of, this is a principle now, this is what he's telling us now, the sons of this age are more shrewd in relation to their own kind than the sons of light. Wait a minute now. If, if, if that's true, how can I be more shrewd then, Lord? I don't want to you to tell me that the that unrighteous are more shrewd with their kind than I am because I'm a son of light. So how can I change this? So he tells us, starting in verse 9, And I say to you, make friends for yourselves. So this person was making friends for themselves by canceling some of their debt. So he said, make friends for yourselves, sons of light. How do I do that? How do I make friends for myself? You know? How do I really do that? By means of the wealth of unrighteousness. Oh. So you mean to tell me that we know that another another place he calls um, mammon, you know, he calls unrighteous mammon, you know. But we know that he's talking about money. So he says that, and he who is he who is faithful in a very little thing is faithful also in much, and he who is unrighteous in a very little thing is unrighteous in much. So you mean to tell me if I don't have, in my opinion, much? And I don't do what you're telling me to do with my, my finances. I'm not a good steward. That means that you mean to tell me I'm, I'm, I'm going to be unfaithful. If you give me an abundance, I'll still be unfaithful. The answer is yes. He who is unrighteous in a very little thing is unrighteous in much. Therefore, if you have not been faithful with the use of unrighteous wealth, who will entrust the true riches to you? So now, we have to be good stewards of the finances that God has given us in order for him to give us what is our own. Because he says in the next verse, if you have, been, have not been faithful in the use of that which is another's, and all that we have belongs to God. Is that correct? It belongs to God. So we're not... If we're not faithful with what's his, he says, who will give you that which is your own? 
Whoa. What's my own God? Do you realize that God has purposes for you that you really don't even know about? Yes, you have abilities. You can be unsaved, not yet saved, and have skills and abilities. But your purpose, the purpose for your life, we're going to all have to answer for that on a judgment day when we stand before him. What do we do with what he had given us? And see, I've asked many people sometime through the years, what's your purpose in life? That was one of the questions in our Purpose Driven Life uh, series that we did uh, three years or four or five years ago. Most people don't know their purpose. You know, they know some of it, but they don't know all of their purpose. God has a purpose for each one of us. But in order to fulfill that, he has to bring it forth. He has to. Some of you don't have a clue what you're going to be doing 20 years from now. Most of you don't. Yeah. And, and, and I know that the same thing with me. I didn't have a clue, not a clue, that I'll be doing what I'm doing now. Didn't have a clue. But I know one thing, that I wasn't even thinking about it. Didn't even want to be anything like this. That was my, not my interest. My interest was in coaching. But I still wanted to be a giver. And so uh, God blessed me by giving me a giver as a wife. And so uh, after, after he worked through her to help me to see uh, that giving is something that God desires because he's a giver, then I finally got the message. But it took me years and years and years to get the message because I kept thinking if I hold on to what I have, I can have something. If I let go and give it away, that's foolish because I have need of it myself. Not realizing that, that I'm holding on to, to my blessings, <laughs> you know, because as I let go of that which he is given to me, for stewardship, he lets go of that which I could never achieve. It's amazing. It, 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 it'll, be, it'll probably be amazing if we could see that if we could see what God had purposed for people that have already died that didn't fulfill it. I mean godly people. Don't think because you, you're saved or you're a godly, you're doing, you're doing a mighty work for God that you're walking in all that God has for you. Yeah. Not necessarily. Only God knows. You see? He says that no servant can serve two masters. He will either hate the one and love the other, he, else he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth, he says. So he's, he's trying to tell the body here, those 12 tribes scattered abroad that I want you to start being good stewards of what God has given you. Luke chapter 12, let's turn there. Verse 13. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the family's inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who appointed me a judge or arbitrator over you? 
Then he said to them, Beware and be on your guard against every form of greed. For not even when one has an abundance does his life consist of his possessions. God puts it in right perspective, doesn't it? God doesn't care whether we're rich or not in the world's goods. He doesn't care because it doesn't mean nothing to him. He's rich. It doesn't mean nothing to him to make somebody. He owns all the gold, all the silver, the cattle on a thousand hills. He owns everything. So he's not bothered by someone who has an abundance of money, abundance of possessions. He's not, he not concerned about that. He's concerned about what are you going to do with it. He's concerned about your heart. You see? Whether you're going to try to hold on to it. Then he told this parable, saying in verse 16, The land of a rich man was very productive. And he began reasoning to himself, saying, What shall I do since I have no place to store my crops? Then he said, This is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and I'll build larger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods. How we put that in one way, we can put it in modern terminology, because since we are not agricultural and we don't have barns, you know, putting our produce in and things like that, but uh, we do have places that we can put money, don't we? We can put it in banks, we can put it in investments, we can put it in CDs, we can put it in uh, a whole lot of different things. We can put our, store up our money and we can say, oh my goodness gracious, you know, since I have this abundance right now, I'm going I'm to I'm invest this right here, I'm going to do this right here, I'm going to do this over here, I'm going to invest in land, I'm going to do this right here, I'm going to do all this stuff right here, and I have these, I have all, all this stuff and I don't have to worry about a thing. And my children don't have to worry about a thing. And we can even use the scripture, and I'm laying up for my children's children. Because that's, that's a scripture, isn't it? And a wise man, he's going he's gonna to leave an inheritance for his children's children. But listen now. He says, And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have many goods laid up for many years to come. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, You fool, this very night your soul is required of you, and now who will own what you have prepared? So is the man who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. So, the, so the, the more you have, God expects the more you should do what? Give. He expects us to be rich towards him. The widow woman who had the might, she was rich towards him. She didn't have much, but she gave all she had, didn't she? God is trying to tell us something here. You see? For this reason, he says, do not worry about your life, what you're going to eat, what you're going to drink, what you're going to put on, all these type of things for your body. Your life is more than food. Your body is more than clothing. Consider the ravens that neither sow nor reap. They don't do all these things. He says, and which of you by worrying can add a single hour to his lifespan? If then you cannot do even the little, a very little thing, that would seem like a big thing, wouldn't it? To add an hour to your, your life. If you could add an hour to your life, how many hours would you add? You know? He says a very little thing. If then you cannot do even the very little thing, why do you worry about the other matters? In other words, it, 
goes down to all these things that you're worrying about and trying to provide for the nations of this world eagerly seek. But your father knows that you have need of these things in verse 30. I want you to seek the kingdom and all these things will be added to you. That's what he says. Then he tells us, don't be afraid, little flock, for your father have chosen glad to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to charity. Make yourselves money belts which will not wear out. An unfailing treasure in heaven where no thief comes nor any moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. What is God after? He's after your heart. That's what he's after. He's told us what to do with our money, hasn't he? He's told us that we should lay it up in heaven. That should be our what? Our storehouse. Our storehouse should be in heaven. And we do that if you um, read all types of scripture all through the Bible, is a give to the poor. We should be looking out for the poor. It's very important. The word came forth today uh, saying a similar thing there. God wants us to do that. James next cries out against failure of the rich to pay their laborers. Let's look at it in James chapter 4, James chapter 5, verse 4. He says there, Behold, the pay of the laborers who mold, mold your fields, fields and which have been withheld from you by you cries out against you. And the outcry of, of those who did, not, who did the harvesting has reached the ears of the Lord of Sabaoth. Now, the Lord of the armies, the Lord of hosts. And probably NIV will tell you, uh, the Lord God Almighty. He's telling us that God looks out for us. He, he's our source, as Minerva said. And so what we have to do is realize that we're not going to hold back anything from the Lord. We're not going to hold back anything from the laborers who do uh, the, the work for us. See, the, 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 the people who, who work, they need money. Nobody in here is going to work for free. Nobody's going to work eight hours a day for free. And if you say you are, then I don't think you're telling the truth. The only people who would do that are people who normally retired, who don't need the money, and they are volunteer, but they are volunteering to help in places like hospitals, you know, and things like that. They're volunteering to help. But when they, were, when they were young and growing up, nobody going to work for free. Nobody going and mow your lawns for free. You know? Nobody going to do that. Are they? Do you, anybody in here work for free? I want you to come work for me. I'm serious. I want you to come work for me. I got plenty of work around my house. You know? Need to be done for free. You know? Most people need some money, don't they? Because if you don't work, you don't eat. So therefore, you got to have some type of money. But also, if you, if you don't work, you won't have to give either. 
And if you're not a giver, then you're cutting off your blessings also. So God says that, you know, he, he wants that. So the one who need the wages need the rich people, you know. And most employers, they have plenty of money, you know. Also, uh, and that's why if you need money, you go to business people because that's what most solicitors go. They go to business people because they have an unlimited supply sometimes of finances because they're, they're, not, they're not working for a wage, per se. We need our employers, but our employers also need us. If there are no one that will work, there, there can be no production of anything. So we need each other. So God is saying, hey, don't hold back things from people. And sadly, we do that in the church. And before I knew any, any different whatsoever, uh, I used to do that, use people. I was, I was not in the church. I was just in the world, you know. Uh, so you get somebody to do work for you for as little or nothing as you possibly can. You know what I'm talking about? So when our, when our doors were very little, and whenever we worked, I worked and stuff like that, and we had need child care, um, I had, because I, I taught, I had people who, you know, I could use for, to help me. Statisticians on my, on my teams and things like that. And so I said, I need, I need somebody to keep my kids. Sure, coach, I'll help you keep your kids. And I'd give them a dollar an hour, you know. I would. I would. I give them a dollar. And, and because I knew, <clears throat> I knew they would do it, um, and they would do it for free if I asked them. But that's not right. Do you hear what I'm saying? That's not right. And I'm ashamed to even tell you that. But you know, you confess your sins. He's faithful to just forgive your sins and cleanse of all unrighteousness. You know, <laughs> I sow some terrible seeds. You know, those are terrible. But don't we do that in the church sometimes? In the church, we, you know, we got people in the church that can do it. Every church, every church has people who are good at some things. I mean, you have mechanics, you have, uh, you have carpenters, you have brick masons, you have someone. Everybody in every church, because God put it that way, you know. It's not good to use people in the church. Expect them to do it for free because they're in, your, in church with you. It's not good. So, you know, sometimes I'm reluctant to ask somebody to do something because they, they might not want to charge me. I said, well, I'll give you something. What, what can I give you? You can't give me nothing. Come on, i got to give you something. Nope, I can't give you nothing. Yeah. But we do that sometimes with people, and they do need something, and they do ask for something. And then we, get, we, we send, them, send them through so many hoops. Well, this nail right here was not nailed down properly. You need to take that up and put another nail down. We, we do the body of Christ so terrible. So terrible. You know? See, I told you. See? <laughs> I tell you. You know? And, and we have, as elders of the, of the church, I uh, haven't had it. Oh, yes, I did. Uh, uh, when I was, even in, in my, in, in, I guess, uh, my watch, as my mentor called it, and my watch, we've had that happen too. You know, people use people in the church because they want to bless people in the church. They use them, and then they don't want to pay them, you know. And also, we've had it the other way around. They, want, they don't want to do the right job and want you to pay them, you know. So we have all that stuff going on in the church, you know. And they've come to us as elders and say, look, this, this person right here has done this right here. 
We've had people in other churches do that to people in our church. And we go to the pastor and we say, well, let's try to get this right. Because, you know, we're supposed to work this thing out in, 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 uh, in the body of Christ rather than going to the law. You know? But it's, it's a shame the way we treat one another. It really is. You know? And don't you know that, that a lot of times they would talk about you? And you don't know they're talking about you, but they will talk about you. And they'll talk about you to other people. And that makes people don't even want to be a part of the church. Okay, So we can apply this message even though we are not so-called rich yet. It hasn't manifested itself, it has manifested itself yet in our lives. But we can still make application because we can still be a good steward of whatever we have. Can't we? Well, James could have mentioned cheating on weights and balances. He could bribe officials. He could mention false advertising, which people do. Uh, all this sort of stuff, we're not going to be a part of in this church. We're going we're gonna to treat people right. What belongs to Caesar, we're going to give it to Caesar. What, when, in other words, whatever belongs to the government, we're not going to cheat them out of taxes, are we? Okay. I mean, it's important now not to, cheat, not to, pay, not to do that. Because yeah. sometimes we do, don't we? Because if there's no record of it, the government can't hold you account to it. Unless the person who gave you the wages uh, return it in. Yeah. You still love me? <laughs> I mean, do, do we do that in the body of Christ? You know? If somebody give us, you know, uh, some money for doing something, hey, if they gave us cash, hey, what's the deal, man? You know? I don't report that stuff, you know? Come on. Is it right? Wait a minute. Y'all didn't even say yes. Y'all said no. You just said nothing, you know? Should we, re- should we report all of our income to the government? Should we give to God what's God's? Okay. Okay. That's all James is trying to tell the people here. And we'll uh, complete the rest of this next week. And we have one more session, not on, on that on, on, on that one, but we'll go through 5, 6, 7, 8, probably 9, 10, 11, and 12. And then we'll treat prayer 13 through uh, 18 differently. And then we'll go into 19 and 20, and we'll close out James. Okay? And it's been fun going through James. You know, it's really been fun to me because I'm learning a lot. How many uh, have learned something you didn't know before? I know I am. I'm learning something I didn't know before. Uh, even though I read it before, even though I'm familiar with it, there's a difference between there's a difference between being familiar with something. As a matter of fact, it's different between knowing something and receiving something. You know, because you can hear the word and not receive it. You can hear it. Matter of fact, you can learn something and not receive it, you know, because that's what it said in Philippians, I think verse chapter four, verse nine. It said, "Those things that you have both learned and received, and heard and seen in me, do, and that God of peace will be with you." So you can you can learn something, and don't receive it. You know? 
You can definitely hear something and don't receive it. All the children say, amen, yes. You know? Because, you know, you, we, we do that a lot of times. The children listen to you. Did you hear what I said, boy? You know, they heard you. You know, they just didn't want to answer you. you know? Let's stand. James is, a, is an awesome book. He tells it like it is. And I told you he told it like it is because he wants to bless us. There's no way in the world James is telling the 12 tribes abroad these hard things and saying that you're not going to be blessed. No, no. He's telling them that you're going to be blessed. I'm trying to get more blessings into your hand. You are my Jewish brethren. Will you, and Christian brethren, will you straighten up these areas because God is going to bless you. That's what we're doing. And we, I want to receive James because there are areas that he stepped all over my feet, all over my toes, man. And so I want to receive that because I want to change. I want to change because I want to grow. I want to grow because I want to receive all that God has for me. I don't think I don't think I have. I know I don't have all that he has for me, and I know you don't either. Okay? Until we get to the point that we can go in hospitals and empty them out, we don't have everything because Jesus can do it. 